welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the first morning service of Saturday the 20th of February 2010, entitled, I Must Decrease, But He Must Increase. And the Bible reading is taken from John chapter 3, verse 30. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. The early years of the conference that, uh, I guess it was the first two years, I guess 03 and 04, uh, we had a few young men come, and we didn't get any sleep. Uh, they would play kickball and dodgeball, and they were probably as loud as two jet engines uh, the whole time till 5 o'clock in the morning. But I'm thankful that uh, most of our young people uh, at least have enough courtesy to the, those who want to get some sleep, and I appreciate that. And so I hope you came uh, this morning. It looks like everybody's wide awake. You. I hope you stay that way. It probably won't be that way about 4.30 this afternoon, but anyway. I want you to turn to uh, John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3, and we'll look at one central verse in John. But I want to speak this morning, of course, um, if you've got a schedule, you know that the titles are already given to you, but I want to speak on a topic about He Must Increase but I must decrease. Now, we talked last night about giving Him the glory. And we're to be a reflector of His glory, not our own. We're not to detract from the glory of God. I want you to think about this for me, uh, with me for just a minute. Look at verse number 28. He said, Ye yourselves, and this is John the Baptist speaking, Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I, I am sent before Him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom but, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therein, therefore, is fulfilled. And verse number 30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, young people, if you're going to, if you're going to make sure he increases and you decrease, there's got to be some qualifications. There's got to be some prerequisites, if you will. One of them is that you've got to be hungry for that. You've got to be hungry for it. It just don't sneak up and by accident, He increases and you decrease because by nature, we know that we're very prideful people. If you don't believe it, how much time did you spend in the mirror, young ladies, this morning trying to get ready? And I'm not just picking on the young ladies. I'm talking about the men too. We do it, we do it as well. We go and work. Yeah, I can tell some of you spent a lot of time on your hair this morning. Okay? No, I'm just playing. Anyway, I'm just playing. I'm, hey, I'm jealous. He's got... I wish I had one-fifth of his hair. Uh, but, uh, but we are very prideful people. We're very selfish. And the Bible tells us that if we're going to do anything to accomplish anything for the kingdom's sake, we've got to not be selfish but selfless. See, the way up in the Christian life is down. In order to live, you've got to die. And so, young people, if, if you're going to accomplish anything, if you want to see God do something and He be increased and you decrease, you've got to be hungry for it. It just don't sneak up on you. David said, as the heart or the deer pants after the water brook, Romani, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. That's not a mistake. That's, that's something that you yearn for. It's something you strive for. You're hungry to see Him do something in your life. How about you? Are you that hungry this morning? Not only have you got to have a hunger for it, but you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest. 
In order to, listen, in order for God to do a work in your heart, you've got to be honest before Him. Guess what? He already knows everything about you. Already knows everything. So I don't know why we try to hide things from Him, Pastor Leonard. We, we, but we're, we have this tendency to believe that if we kind of just dismiss it and sweep it under the rug, that God doesn't see it anymore. It's, it's not true. He, he sees everything. And we've got to be honest. Let me say this, young people, and y'all write this statement down. God never revived a dishonest person. God has never revived a dishonest person. Now, if you're here today and you're a born-again believer, you've trusted Christ, maybe you come here today seeking something. And you know what? God wants to give you refreshment from heaven, but He's never given that to anybody that's dishonest. You've got to be honest before Him. I remember in the early days, Shelley, and I, I know that you, uh, and most of you, have heard the story that it started with about eight of us. I can remember the first conference. We all sit on, y'all sit on the, the third row right there, and I was with a little lectern, and you know, but it was special, and I can remember the honesty, and that I remember us weeping together, and the honesty that we had one to another, and because we wanted to bear one another's burdens. That's what the scripture says, so we can help one another. But you, listen, if God's going to do something, and He's going to be up here, and you're going to be decreased, you're going to have to be honest. Now, all this is just talking. I'm not even to my message yet. But us, not only do you have to be hungry and honest, but you've got to be humble. You've got to be humble. I've often said this, water always flows into the valley or the low place. So does grace always flow to the humble. Grace never goes uphill, it always goes downhill. So does water. It always goes to the low place. It finds the low place to, to settle and that's where the grace of God will find you, in the low place. You've got to be humble. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, you know, uh, I've heard a story about a kid that was in class one day, and they were giving out awards, and they gave him the humble award, a little badge. The next day, he wore it to class, and they took it from him. That's not humility. You don't wear a humble badge to class. Some of y'all won't get that, but I was trying to, I was trying to make an illustration. You've got to be humble. And you say, preacher, why are you saying that? Now, I don't want you to turn there, but in Matthew chapter number 11, John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, Jesus said this of John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, 11, he said, of them that are born of women, among them that are born of women, there's not risen, great, uh, Matt, a greater than John the Baptist. He said, of everybody that's ever been born of a woman, nobody's been greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's a quite a compliment, isn't it? Would you... Can you imagine the King of Glory saying to His disciples and it being written down in the pages of Scripture that there's not risen a greater than John the Baptist? God said that. But then He said, notwithstanding, or nevertheless, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Isn't that an amazing statement? He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is going to be greater than John the Baptist. Now, why was John the Baptist such a great individual? Well, I submit to you it's because, number one, he had a different declaration. John the Baptist was as a what? Voice crying in the wilderness. word crying literally means to reverberate. It means to literally... Uh, to, he, he was more than a voice. He got up and he spake with authority because he said, I am coming, my coming is before the one who's preferred before me. 
He said, I am one as a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. What he was doing was this. He was saying, my declaration's different. When everybody else used to get up in the synagogues or in the temple, and they would, with a monotone fashion, stand up and read the Scripture, the Torah, and they would kind of, in a monotone fashion, Michael, uh, give what the God had given uh, them to give the people. John was different. John was a crazy man, kind of like me. John the Baptist would get up, and he was a wild man. He preached out in the wilderness, and he said, I want you to understand there's one coming who I am not. I'm not Christ. He said, but the one that's coming, I don't even deserve to unlatch his sandals. That's what we're to do. Hey, this guy had a different dress too. He said he wore camel's hair in Matthew chapter number 3. He wore camel's hair. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We, when we went to Morocco a few years ago, Shelly was with us. We got to, to stand right beside of what, well, it wasn't a camel, but it was in the same family. It was one hump. They say a camel's two humps. But this thing had one hump, and it wasn't actually a camel, but it had the same, you know, coating. And I can't believe that somebody would wear that. But then the amazing thing is, he said he had camel's hair. He wore camel's hair. But then it says he had a leather girdle. Now, I don't know about y'all, I think that's pretty cool. He had a leather girdle as a man, all right? But what it literally means is he had a, he, almost like a, 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 a rope around his, around his camel coat. But then it said that he ate locust. And honey. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've ate some bugs in the past by accident. All right? Riding my bicycle and huh, one go in my mouth. But I've never ate, on any, ate any on purpose, Matt. Heard a story about a pastor that was up one preaching one day and he got back and he began to read his text and he took a great big breath and a fly had been flying in the auditorium and that fly went zoom right in his mouth and he swallowed it. And he stood back and he looked at the people and they looked at him and he said, well, folks, the only thing I can say is this. He was a stranger and I took him in. That's what the Bible said. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but John the Baptist was different. He had a different dress. He had a different diet. That's obvious. Locust and honey is not what we had this morning, all right? He had a different declaration. Can I tell you something about John? The reason I believe he had that compliment on his life and he said he must increase and I must decrease. He had a compelling nature by him. Do you know everybody went out into the wilderness Panos, to listen to him? He didn't go to anybody. They came out to him. Can I ask you something? Do you have a compelling nature with the people you're around? When you're around people that you go to school with or you work with, when they leave your presence, are they more thirsty to hunger after righteousness or to meet the one that you know when they left your presence and when they came into it? Or are they, are they saying to themselves, that person says they're a Christian? Come on now, what do you think with me? Do you have a compelling nature? John compelled people to come out to him. Not him go to them, they came to him. But he not only had a compelling nature, Romani, he had a confronting nature. Now let me just go ahead and qualify what I'm getting ready to say. I spoke about this on Monday night here at the church. The Bible says in Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the what? Come on, y'all ain't asleep. Y'all know what it says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Do you realize that you hold in your very possession life and death by the words that you speak to people? Now listen to me. The Bible says we're to earnestly contend for the what? Faith. It didn't say be earnestly contentious. It said earnestly contend for the faith. Now listen to me, young people. It don't do a bit of good for you to go and debate with somebody who may be an evolutionist or an atheist. You know what an atheist is? They're an educated moron. You say, preacher, why would you call them that? That's what the Bible calls them. You know the word fool is literally a Greek word and M-O-R-S, moros. We get our English word M-O-R-O-N from it, moron. They're an educated idiot. Because the Bible says in Psalm 53, 1, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. When you go and debate with somebody who is an evolutionist or an atheist, you know, I, I, I got a poem for an atheist. It says, I was a tadpole when I began to begin, and then I was a frog with my tail tucked in, and then I was a monkey in a coconut tree, and now I am a man with a PhD. That's what an atheist is. See, the, the, it's education, it's intellectualism that has absolutely killed us in our simple childlike faith to believe that God is and that He's a reward of them that diligently seek Him. When you debate with somebody, it don't matter whether you win the argument is if you lose the friend or not. See, you can be confronting and you can debate with your friends about the truth and man's philosophy, but don't lose this, this simple fact. When you speak to somebody, the words that you speak can literally be death or life to that person. You might speak a word and you might win the argument, but you might lose a friend forever. Don't do that. Use your tongue. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the who? Hearers. So young people, you can have a confronting nature, but don't be so confrontive that you you cause a conspiracy between you and the person you're trying to debate with. So number one, he had a compelling nature. Number two, he had a confronting nature. But number three, he had a convicting nature. Most of you know the story about John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been beheaded. Herod had His wife had him beheaded. Herod, one day, hears about this man named Jesus who's doing miracles. And guess what Herod says? I don't know who he is, but I can guarantee you I think I know who he is. He's John the Baptist come back to life. Do you know what? John the Baptist was dead and was still convicting the conscience of King Herod. I want to know if you've got a convicting nature. See, the difference here, folks, with John the Baptist and us is his statement. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, folks, we've got to realize, and here's a few ways for you to make him increase and you decrease. The first one is this. He must increase and you must decrease, number one, in your prayers. Your prayers. Say, preacher, what do you mean? Luke 18, 1 says, He spoke a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. The Bible says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The effectual, fervent, Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now listen to me. It's not the integrity of the asker that's important, but the intensity of the asking. He says it's got to be effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. It's not only the intensity of the asking, but it's the integrity of the asker. 
What does Psalm 66 verse 18 say? Does any of you know that? Psalm 66 verse 18 says, I'll start it and help me finish it. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I don't know what you're hiding from God today, but He knows it. If you regard iniquity in your heart, God said, I won't hear you. Now, He's talking to believers. Don't try to hide anything from God. Be honest, be humble, be hungry. Watch God do something in your life so that He may be increased and you decrease. If anybody had the right to increase in the flesh, John the Baptist was a man given a compliment by the King of kings and Lord of lords who said, there's nobody that's ever been born of woman. Anybody in here not been born of a woman? I want to know who you are. Anybody? Thank everybody. <laughs> I would figure you'd stick your hand up. I, I, everybody in this room has been born of a woman. He said, there's nobody that's risen greater than John the Baptist. If anybody had a right, humanly speaking, in their own flesh to glory, it would have been John the Baptist. But what did he say? He must increase, but I must decrease. How do you do that? Well, the first way you do it is in your prayers. How many of you have ever heard somebody do this? They come up and they have prayer requests. You ever have prayer requests in the youth group? I, I, I had a preacher one time that I, I was at a meeting and he stood up and he said, well, it's good to be with y'all today. I'm so thankful to be here. Hey, I want y'all to know I, I've got a car. We just drove into the meeting and it's got two bald tires and, and it's a wonder that it hadn't had a flat tire in the last 25 miles, but God has spared us and we hadn't had a flat tire. By the way, we got on down the road and the transmission slipping and universal joints are going out and uh, don't have any headlights, but you know what? It seems like we got here every single time we go somewhere in that car that God gets us right where we're going before it gets dark. You know, the, uh, it's, it's leaking oil and the radiator's busted, but it seems like everywhere we go, we just in time, God makes a way for there to be a spigot or some water right where we park. You know what he's basically saying? We need a new car. Sound like God abandoned him about 60,000 miles ago, didn't it? You know what he's basically saying? We need new tires. We need a new car. You know what? We need to be very, very careful how we pray. Don't we, Pastor Leonard? We need to be very careful that we not be spiritual hustlers and try to extract information from people and that, you know, and drop those little hidden requests. You know, y'all pray. My coat's got a hole in it and I want you to pray that it's real cold outside. You know what? It's going to pull on somebody's heartstring. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go down to H&M or somewhere and buy you a coat. Why don't we tell God about our requests? Why don't we pray that God meet our needs? Instead of us, you know, pulling on the emotions of people. Matter of fact, my Bible tells me that when we pray in secret, our Father which is in secret shall reward us how? Openly. Why don't we pray that He be increased. And you know what? When we do stuff like that, and I've watched it happen in church after church, who really gets the glory after that prayer? The person that went and bought the article of clothing or went and helped you. When God meets the need, who gets the glory? He does. And that's the way we ought to pray. If you want to see Him increased and us decrease, number one, you do it in your prayers. But number two, you do it in your priorities. Now I'm getting ready to meddle, all right? You do it in your priorities. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter number 3 and look at verse number 9. I want to show you a few things. Y'all don't mind, do you? 
Okay, good. Proverbs chapter number 3. I want you to look at verse number 9. Now, I know some of you came to this conference, and this is your first time, and you're saying, man, this dude, he's weird. But I promise you, I'll grow on you like warts, all right? I promise. I grow on you real quick. And, but you're going to find out something about me. I don't mince words. I don't beat around the bush. I ain't here to win friends and influence people, but I am here to be your friend. And I am here to tell you the truth. You know what? Your enemy will lie to you. The devil wants to lie and whisper in your ear that you ain't much and you can't do nothing for the glory of God. But I'm here to tell you that you are a powerful tool that God can use in His hand if you will allow Him. You've got to allow Him to use you. I want to be a help to you this weekend. I want you to look at what the Scripture says right here in Proverbs chapter number 3. If you're going to see Him increase and you decrease, number one, you do it in your prayers. But number two, you do it in your priorities. Number one, I want you to look at this. In verse number 9 of chapter number 3, Proverbs chapter number 3, Solomon writes to his son and says this, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Now he says with the first fruits. He didn't say with what you glean three days from now. He said the first fruits of all your increase. Have you ever asked yourself why Abel's sacrifice was more precious than Cain's sacrifice? Because it said that Abel took of the firstlings, Pastor Leonard, of his flock. He took the best. But Cain went in the process of time, literally what it means in the Hebrew language is, in the process of time means about the third or fourth picking when they glean off the edges of the field. He said, that's what Cain brought to the Lord. God's not interested in your leftovers. God wants first in your life. He says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. Young people learn this real quick. God prioritizes your life in some areas. You are stewards over four areas in your life. Number one, time. Number two, treasure. Number three, talent. And number four, testimony. God has made you overseer in those four areas of your life. Time, talent, treasure, and testimony. Now what you do with it is your choice. But everything we got, everything we do, whatever we say, whatever material possessions God's given us, we are to make the master successful with what He's given us, not ourselves. So young people, the first area that you got to make priority in is number one in your first fruits. Now let me say this. He's really talking right here about your possessions. You know what, you know what literally enslaves us? And I'm listen, I'm, I'm a preacher. I've been preaching now for about 18 years, almost 20. You know what things, things actually, things are almost, they almost dominate our life. They control us. Possessions ought not control us. We ought to use things and love people instead of using people and loving things. Now, young people, he said, honor the Lord with your substance. You say, well, preacher, you know I ain't got much money. I'm a student. I don't have a big job and all that. But let me, let me tell you something. You start right now. Start right now. Honoring the Lord with what God has given you. And I promise you, he said, I'll open up windows of heavens and shower down blessings upon you that you won't even be able to receive them. So number one, you do it priorities. He said, honor the Lord with your substance. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five, New Testament. Go there. Matthew chapter number five. Look at verse number 23, Matthew chapter number 5, verse 23. 
Matthew chapter number 5, verse 23. He says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee. You know what aught is, don't you? Disagreement. Argument. A division. So basically, let me just paraphrase this. Well, if you come to the altar and you're praying that God would really give you victory in this area of your life, but there while you're praying, you remember that your brother have alt or division against you. Look at verse 24. Leave therefore thy gift before the altar and go thy, thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now let me explain what he's saying. Before you make things right with God, you need to go be, make th things right first with your brother. See, you're sitting right here right now, and you're wanting God to work in your life, but you know what? You know that there probably is all against you and your mom, you and your dad, you and your brother, you and your sister. And before you come and give your gift to the altar and bring it here, he says, you know what? While you're there praying, you know what? You remember that there's something between you now. Let me tell you how you, in, how, how you make him increase and you decrease. It says when you know that your brother hath ought against you. It didn't say you got ought against them, but you know they've got ought against you. It says you go to them and first be reconciled to them. It didn't say they're going to come to you. you got to go to them. So young people, the way that you decrease and make him increase is you leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled to your brother. There may be somebody that you need to call before you leave this weekend and make things right. There may be somebody at this conference that's sitting among you that you need to make things right with before you can ever ask God to have his hand of blessing on you. You see what I'm saying? Be reconciled to your brother. Now I know that ain't popular and it ain't very fun to listen because, you know, the easiest thing is to just stay mad at somebody, isn't it? That's the easiest thing to do. Just stay mad and just stay divided. But to, listen, it's hard because you got to be honest and you got to go to them and say, you might have to say, well, you know what? I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm sorry. Let's say that word. Let's say those two words. I'm sorry. Let's say it again. I'm sorry. Let's say it again. Wow, don't that sound good? Don't that sound liberating? You better learn to say those two words. Because if you don't, you're going to have a miserable life. There's some of you in here, you know, you come from divided homes. You may be bitter and upset and mad at your parents. You may be mad at a, a person that maybe had gotten on the phone and spread some hearsay about you that wasn't true. I'm going to tell you something. Don't you hold on to that. You go be reconciled. If they don't listen, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to try to make it right. So you've got, listen, if you're going to make him increase and you decrease, you've got to, number one, honor the Lord with your substance. Number two, you've got to first be reconciled to your brother. But number three, I want you to look at Matthew chapter number six. Just one chapter over. Look at verse 33. Matthew chapter number six and look at verse 33. Everybody knows this verse. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How many people have you ever heard? He says, but seek ye what? Seek ye what? First. It didn't say third. It didn't say after you've had your good time and now you're a little older and after you've already had that and went out and, you know, wasted your substance on riotous living like the prodigal son did, that you come to him. He said, no, seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know what I'm so burdened about? 
And the reason that I had such a burden years ago with Pastor Larry and the young people in this church is because in my country, this is the, this is the mindset. Well, I'm, I'm 18 years of age, and you know what? I haven't really had a good time. I've been raised in a Christian home, and I've really not known anything other than that. And I think I'm going to go out for a few years and do what I want to do. You know, that's awful scary ground. The prodigal son did that. And Michael, after he said he wasted his daddy's inheritance on riotous living, what he thought was going to be fun, it's, listen, you know what? When you go out there and do that, it's a blast while it lasts, but it's going to come to a quick, quick end. It said when he came to himself, Pastor, he was feeding with the hogs. He was feeding with swine. He was eating out of a pig trough. And it said he came to himself and said, I'm no more worthy to be called thy father's son. I'll go and say, make me as one of thy hired servants. And he went on the road home. And when he got there, his daddy hugged his neck. And you know what is amazing about this? He didn't even get to tell his daddy what he'd rehearsed in his mind, what he would say. He never got it out of his mouth because you know what? The father's compassion ran toward him and said, son, don't say a word. Let me put a robe on your back and shoes on your feet and a ring on finger. And he said, because you were lost, but thank God now you're found. And everybody began to be merry and they had a great time and they had a feast. Seek ye first. You don't have to go out and waste your life for 20 years and come back and say, well, God's merciful. Don't you do that. Don't you play games with God. This thing ain't a game. The reason why I've got a burden is because I want to see you serve God the years that I didn't. I was 24 years of age when I surrendered to ministry. 24. For five to six years of my saved life, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like the world was upside down. You've got to seek first the kingdom of God. Make sure that you say him, that He's increased and you decrease in your priorities. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all these things should be added unto you. The last way that you make sure He increases and you decrease is number one, you do it in your, you do it in your prayers. Number two, you do it in your priorities. The pastor Leonard, number three, you do it in your plans. Your plans. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott? Most some of you heard of him? Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Alka Indians. Let me tell you something about this guy. Cain, this guy could play baseball better than anybody in his college ranks. He was an unbelievable baseball player. Matter of fact, they said, you know what? If you'll stay in this profession, if you'll stay in this, you could go to the professional major league baseball. You could go and play baseball for a living and get paid for it. You know what he said? He said, I can't do that because God's placed a call on my life and I believe I need to go and I need to minister and try to help people reach my Savior. Jim Elliott surrendered to the ministry, went to Bible college, got his degree, went off, and him and five other guys went and they ministered to the Alka Indians, South America. One day they were dropping trinkets down there on the beach of that sandbar and trying to win the Indians' confidence and they finally got to the point where it felt like they could land that plane and they landed on that sandbar and days went by and they, and, and, and they began to have a good rapport with those Indians. But something happened. And one day, Tim, those Indians came out from behind the bushes and they took their spears and they thrust it through all five of those missionaries and they died on that sandbar. But Romani, let me tell you something. 
Two weeks, two months before he died, he wrote in his journal, they got hold of his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, who's a renowned author and Christian speaker. She wrote a book. And in that, she wrote that in his journal, she recorded a statement he made two months before he lost his life serving Jesus Christ. You know what he wrote? He wrote these words, Panos. He said, He is no fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say it again. He is no fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You say, Preacher, what did he mean? Jim Elliot gave his life to Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus and your plans and your priorities and your prayers, it ceases to be yours, it's His. It's no longer your life. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Jim Elliot, Matt, gave his plans to Jesus. He said, you know, this is not my own life. This is His. And I'm going to give it to Him. And you know what? Because I've given my life to Him, which I couldn't keep anyway, He's the one that has to keep it. I'm gaining what I can never lose. He gained eternity. And by the way, on that same place where He was thrust through with a spear, his wife stayed there and years later led some of those Indians to Jesus Christ. And one of those Indians he led to, that she led to Christ, grandson, is now a pastor in that same area where Jim Elliot was thrust through with a spear. And it was all because a man said, this ain't about me. It ain't about my plans. I could have went and played baseball, but there was a greater calling on my life. Young people, I wish I could tell you and had time to tell you that nearly 20 years ago I was struggling. And you know what? I didn't know what God was doing in my heart. And there were things I could have done. I could, I, I could have tried to pursue a golf career. I wanted to play golf professionally. There's a lot of other things. I was managing a business. I was managing a paint store. But you know what? There's not a greater thing in all the world to be considered, Romani, a servant of the Most High God. There's not a greater calling in life, and I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but you know what? If you want to see Him increase and you decrease, you're going to have to, number one, make sure it's done in your prayer life. Number two, make sure it's done in your priorities. And number three, you've got to make sure it's done in your plans. Is this about your plans? Or is it about His plans? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around. Father, in Jesus' name, as they go and discuss the next few moments, these uh, questions that they've written down, I want them to be keenly aware of the fact that, Lord, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to realize that just as Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who will give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Help us to realize, Lord, that this is bigger than us, and that we need to lose ourselves in that cause to make sure that you're lifted up and you're increased and we decrease. We'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.